You may or may not remember, two weeks ago I ended the message with a question, or actually a series of questions, as to the relevance or purpose of studying the incommunicable attributes of God. I said that the uh, goal, or at least one of the goals, of studying the communicable attributes of God is that we might become more like Him. That our justice would be more like His justice, our mercy more like His mercy, our gentleness more like His gentleness, our patience more like His patience, etc., etc., But I said it is impossible for us to be like God in the incommunicable attributes. There is no correspondence in our life. So, what is the purpose of studying the incommunicable attributes of God? And I would submit to you tonight, among others, but the one I'm going to emphasize tonight, is that it might produce within us the proper worship of God. So the goal of studying the incommunicable attributes is to marvel at how different God is from us, which should produce trust, humility, and ultimately the worship of God. The more we know about God, the more humbled we should be. We should stand amazed at the difference between ourselves and God. The more humble we are, the more we should learn to trust him. Not to rely upon ourselves, uh, not to uh, look to be independent, but rather to be dependent upon God. And then lastly, to worship him, to ascribe to him the worthiness to uh, bring honor and glory to his name. So the first part is review. Number one, there are characteristics of God that are like us and some characteristics that are very different from us. This is the most common way to talk about God's attributes, for it is the easiest way to think about God. The attributes of God that are different from us are called incommunicable attributes. The incommunicable attributes of God are those attributes that God does not share or communicate to others. The attributes of God that are like us are called communicable attributes. The communicable attributes of God are those attributes that God does share or communicate to us. The communicable attributes of God are in some ways a lot easier to understand. That is because these are the areas that God is like us. To some degree, they are a part of our experience. We can think of illustrations and situations when these attributes are applied in a manner common to us. But the most difficult attributes of God to try to understand are the incommunicable attributes of God. That is because these are the areas that God is very different from us. They are not a part of our experience. There is nothing within our experience to compare them. In fact, any comparisons are woefully misleading. For example, the fact that God is triune. And I spoke about some of the uh, comparisons that are tried to be uh, brought to teach the Trinity, but simply there is no comparison. There is nothing else in our universe, nothing else in the created world that is A trinity. So, how God is like us. The communicable attributes of God. God's love. God is love. We're able to love too. God's knowledge. God has knowledge. And we're able to have knowledge too. God's mercy. God is merciful. And we are able to be merciful too. God's justice. God is just. And we are to be just too. God's power. God has power. And we have power also. This this list is not exhaustive, but rather is illustrated with the communicable attributes of God. 
But even in the communicable attributes of God, God is not entirely like us. So when I say we worship God because of his incommunicable attributes, certainly God is worthy of our worship for his communicable attributes as well. But if we can think of the fact that God is greater than us in the communicable attributes, and I don't think we fathom how vastly different God is in his uh, communicable attributes, that he is far, far greater than we. When we talk about God's love, it's greater than our love. When we talk about God's knowledge, it's greater than our knowledge. Our knowledge can't compare to God's knowledge. It's different in content. He knows more than we know, to be sure. It's different in kind, for God knows all things as they are, and God knows all possibilities. God has an infinite awareness, not only of what he has done, but also what he could have done. He knows every choice. There are a few people that have the uncanny ability to think outside the box. And they have the ability to come up with something that nobody ever thought of before. And a new alternative to doing something. We call that an invention. They devise a way to do a particular task that nobody ever thought of before. Some people have as many as 120 inventions. That's pretty remarkable. But when you compare that to God, who knows all possibilities, who knows not only what he did, but everything he could have done, we see that his knowledge far surpasses our knowledge. So it's different in kind and it's different in degree or content. It's also different in source. For God knows all things as they are firsthand. God has experienced all things. God does not have to be taught anything. Nothing has to be revealed to God. We don't have to tell him our thoughts. He knows our thoughts, even afar off. He knows our thoughts before we think them. He knows everything experientially. We do not. So you see that God's knowledge far surpasses our knowledge. So, when we think about the incommunicable attributes, we have to ramp that up a thousandfold. That in these areas, it is just absolutely, absolutely amazing. And I don't want to in any way limit God's communicable attributes. Those are amazing as well. But you run out of words. To describe an infinite God. Uh, The scripture runs out of words. And so it says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Exceedingly abundantly above. Well, not only is he able to do in his power exceedingly abundantly above, but in all these other attributes, he's exceedingly abundantly above. Incredibly, magnificently, vastly, and we could add adjective after adjective and it would not exhaust the difference that exists between God and ourselves. So tonight we want to take a stab at just 
touching the surface of the incommunicable attributes and what we're to learn from them. So, examples of the incommunicable attributes. God is eternal. God has existed for all eternity, but we have not. God's unchangeable. God does not change, but we do. Uh, of course, that is the same as God's immutability. And God's omnipresence or immensity. God is everywhere present, but we are present only in one place at one time. So we're going to briefly look at those three attributes, and they are not exhaustive either. They are exemplary. First, God is eternal, meaning that God has no beginning and end. Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were born, or thou didst give birth to the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. From everlasting to everlasting, you're God. So from eternity past to eternity future, God is God. We have, by the grace of God, everlasting life. So we are going to exist for eternity future. That's kind of mind-boggling when you think about it. We will always exist. We will never cease to exist. We have everlasting life. That's a lot to get your mind around. And we can't get our mind around that, quite honestly. But to think about it going backwards is even more difficult. Because... We had a point in time that we came into existence. We didn't exist in eternity past, but God did. God did. God has no beginning. However, we had a beginning. It is far easier for us to contemplate having everlasting life than it is for us to understand having no beginning. Even a child wrestles with the notion of God having no beginning. Who has not had a child? If you have a child and you've taught them about God, I guarantee you that a question you've been asked is, who made God? Who made God? Right? Because everything in our experience has been made. Everything has come into being by some entity. So who... Made God. And it is a common uh, problem that the secular world wants to bring up to the Christian world, saying that, you know, how can you believe in something eternal? And I pointed out before when we looked at the eternality of God that you've got to believe in something that's eternal. And the alternative is science teaches that matter cannot be created nor destroyed, which is a statement of eternality. It always existed. It wasn't made. It never ends. Something has to be eternal. But what amazes me is how glibly, how lightly that is passed over in the scientific realm. How that people don't stop and scratch their head and say, how can that be? How is it possible that matter has always existed. How can 
the scientific world not ask the question, who made the matter? But oftentimes that question is never asked. It's behooved. It is, I think, intentionally glossed over because the ramifications are mind-boggling. Albert Einstein said that the idea of a creator is repugnant to him. Einstein didn't like thinking that there was a creator. But Einstein said that without him, the picture is incomplete. Einstein said, I don't like to think about it, but the reality is we have no answers if there is no God. Well, there are some particular important thoughts that go, that go along with God's eternality and, one, and our finiteness. And one of those thoughts is because we are finite, we have a warped view of time. We have a warped view of time. What is short seems long to us. Psalm 90, verse 4. For a thousand years in thy sight are like yesterday when it passes or as a watch in the night. For God, who exists for all eternity, a thousand years is like this. It's a snap. But for us, when we think about a thousand years, that seems like an eternity. That seems like such a, a long, long time. Time is a very important discussion in philosophy and in the um, theological realm. It's one that is handled far too lightly. And one of the mistakes that I hear, and I hear it often, is that God doesn't experience time and time is irrelevant to God. That's not true. God is not outside of time. Uh, there was a time that Jesus did not exist in bodily form. That was a change in the existence of God. That was a difference in God. God does experience time. But he is eternal. Some people say that everything is present with God. That's not true. There are things past and there are things future. He knows everything as though it were the present, but God does not exist in eternal presence. God existed in the past. He was the God of Abraham. He was the God of Isaac. He was the God of Jacob. He experienced the relationship with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he led the children of Israel out of Egypt. That's a part of God's experience. He, Jesus Christ, is coming back. That will be a part of God's experience. He's not experiencing that now. 
He's going to experience it in the future. Hebrews says, we see all things put under him, but yet we do not yet see all things put under him. Jesus Christ is going to reign in a different way in the future that he reigns now. He's going to experience that reign. But it's hard. I understand it's difficult to try to get our hands around these incommunicable attributes. But the way that you try to get your hands around them are extremely important. So please don't say that God is outside of time. He is eternal. So Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom. And as King James, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. There is a tendency for us to think as though we are going to live forever. We're not. Uh, when you're young, it's easy to think that life is just going to go on, you know. But you're running out of time. You're running out of time to do certain things. You're running out of time to get things done. Many sitting in this room most likely have the majority of their life behind them. Most likely, the majority of my life is behind me. I'd have to live a, an awfully ripe old age to have more life ahead of me than I have behind me. And it takes a moment to stop and think about the goals and the aspirations I once had that are not yet fulfilled and recognize the days are passing quickly and there's going to be less and less opportunity to accomplish those goals, to accomplish those ends. Uh, so we need to keep time in perspective. Psalm 102, verse 11. My days are like a lengthened shadow. I wither away like grass. But thou, O Lord, dost abide forever. Thy name to all generations. The contrast. First Peter 1.24. For all flesh is like grass. And all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. This is the word which we preach to you. James 1.10. And let the rich man glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind, and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Life is short, while eternity is forever. Now, there's a simplistic statement if there is one. Life is short, but eternity is forever. But here's the application. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. Paul's admonition in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 is, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Paul's trials weren't light in the sense that they were a burden to bear. They were not eternal. They were not temporary. They were not momentary in the sense that 
Paul was going to bear some of those physical problems for the rest of his life. You remember that Paul prayed that the thorn in the flesh would be removed. It wasn't removed. God said, rather, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul went to the grave with his thorn in the flesh. But when he compared it to eternity, all of a sudden, it took on a momentary perspective. Compared to all eternity, what is the brief moment that we have on this earth? It's like grass. It withers. It dies. It Life is short. Eternity is forever. So, how should we live our lives? With eternity in view. <laughs> Seeing that this life is a preparation for the life to come, we ought to be far more concerned with our future existence than our present existence. What will it mean if you gain the whole world now, but you lose your soul for all eternity? It's no bargain. It's no bargain. It is good to contemplate. It's good to reflect on the different perspective when you try to understand eternity. Eternity. Um, I already did number six pretty much, so let's do number seven. God is immutable or unchanging. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O sons of Jacob, you are not consumed. Since God is immutable, his purposes are unchanging. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Mankind is constantly changing. Change is not always for the better. Change is not always for the worse. It depends. You see, God does not change. God cannot change for the better. God cannot improve. Uh, one of the popular modern theological premises is uh, the progressive, uh, progressive theology. And the idea there is that God grows, God develops, God matures. God in the New Testament is wiser than the God of the Old Testament. The God of the New Testament is more loving than the God of the Old Testament. God is improving. God's getting better. No, God doesn't change. He can't change for the better because he's perfect and he will not change for the worse. That has implications. Back to eternality, God doesn't get old. God doesn't get feeble. God doesn't become senile. God doesn't become tired or weary. Again, it's difficult to talk about these things. God is in his prime. What does that mean? God is the same today. We, we don't know that. We can't experience that. We don't know what that's like. We're all de declining. We're getting older. 
The older you get, the eyes start going bad. The knees start going bad. You start having all kinds of physical limitations. You can't do today what uh, you did yesterday and tomorrow. You're not going to be able to do what you did today. Now, that is discouraging, but it's encouraging when you think about God. God does not change. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. So we can't be unchanging, but what we should be is steadfast. We should strive to be consistent and faithful. We cannot be immutable. But we should long to be steadfast. Acts 17.21. Now, all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hear something new. 1 Corinthians 15.58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. We should be steadfast. One of the examples that is very relevant is Proverbs and Malachi. Proverbs 5.18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. You should stay faithful to your spouse regardless of the changes that take place in your spouse or in yourself. Neither you nor your spouse are the person that you married. And you make a vow that says, for better or for worse, in some ways we improve. In a lot of ways, we decline. You don't get what you got in the beginning. I appreciate my wife. My wife has been very faithful to me over the years. When we dated, our dating was always sports related we would play mini golf together or we most often we would play tennis together Uh, we would go hikes together we would play volleyball it was all sports and my wife loves sports likes to ski water ski all that good stuff that's what we did i don't remember the last time i played tennis with my wife i can't go on a hike And I've been in a wheelchair for almost a year. I've changed. Faithfulness in times of change. Churches change. People change. Learning to be faithful through change is a wonderful quality and characteristic. To be steadfast and not to allow the changes to change you and your commitments. E. It is because we are constantly changing that we do not experience satisfaction. Psalm 104:34. Let my meditations be pleasing to Him. As for me, I shall be glad. In the Lord. Uh, You might say, well, where did you get that out of that verse? Well, the idea here is that 
Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When you take your, your satisfaction in God, there is a measure of contentment. In Hebrews it says that godliness with contentment is great gain. The non-Christian world thrives on change. If things aren't changing, they're unhappy. Because that's what brings excitement. That's what brings rejuvenation. A change is good. Well, sometimes change is good. When change is for the better. But when change is for the worse, it's not good. But we need to recognize that the need for change is because of our finiteness. And is not to be prized. What needs to be prized is steadfastness. So, application. What are our dreams, our desires, our expectations? But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so can we not take anything out? And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Content. Dissatisfaction is a dangerous thing. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation, a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Wanting to achieve these things They do things that result in ruin and destruction. So, questions that uh, I'm not going to answer tonight, but I want you to think about. Number one, in what way is change a part of the curse? That's an important question concerning the need and reason for change. In what way is change a part of the curse? In what way is the lack of change a blessing? Is it a good thing or a bad thing that God does not change? Why? Why in some areas do we need to change? And then is resistance to change a good or bad thing? Well, it depends on whether the change is for good or whether the change is bad. Sometimes we need to resist change. If the change is for the, for the evil, then... Fight it. If the change is an improvement, it's for the better. Then repent of it and adopt it. Change is an incredibly important decision-making process in each of our lives as Christians. We need to contemplate change. When it's good, when it's bad. Finally, God is... Omnipresent or immense. God is present everywhere. Therefore, God is always there to help me. Psalm 139, verse 9 and 10. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there thy hand will lead me and thy right hand will lay hold of of me. God is always there to help me. That's one of the practical applications of a God that is omnipresent. That's not the only one by any means. But wherever you go, God is there. And we have no corner on God. Where two or three are gathered together, there is God in the midst. God is here. God is in the Bible-believing church. 
down the street. Everybody who gathers together to worship and to glorify His name, His presence abides within. God is unfailing in His care for us. Psalm 27, verse 10. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. When my mother and father are gone, God is there to comfort me. That is His omnipresence. When they are across the country, if I'm in Lower Jabip in the United States, God is there when they are not. If it's a matter of finiteness, they die. They, our God carries on. I remember as a child, one of my great concerns was that my parents would die. I don't know why. I mean, it was just something that, that I, I really kind of fixated on. And it was a problem for me. I was always afraid my parents were going to die. And uh, as a young child, 40 seemed to be old to me. Okay, when you're young. 40 seemed like way off. And there was a prayer that I prayed regularly as a, as a young child. I kid you not. And I prayed that God would not let my parents die till I was 40 years old. My mother died in my 40th year. My father died afterwards. But I didn't want to be without my mom. And I didn't want to be without my dad. And as a young child, that scared me. But there's never a time that you'll be without God. You're not going to experience a new God. A different God. I want to be very careful here because I know there's a meeting. But one of the things that, that I've been thrilled at is the opportunity to be here for 30 years. I've always wanted to have a long ministry. Because I, I think there's so much value in that. One of the things that I experienced when I was young was well, we went through a, a lot of different preachers. I think about the longest stay uh, in uh, my experience uh, for pastors at, at uh, Blandon was five years. So every five years or, or less, we had a new pastor. That brought a lot of changes. <laughs> that brought a new relationship. That brought a lot of things. I thought, man, it's, not, it's, it's wonderful, I think. <laughs> uh, maybe some people wish that I would leave. But, you know, I think it's wonderful when somebody goes off to college and they come back. And it's the same pastor. Because if it's not, the church really changes. It's really different. You have an ongoing relationship. Well, I'm not all that important. And one day I'm not going to be here. But God is. But God is. And that is our solace. That is our, our help. That is our confidence. The God of Abraham, the God of uh, Isaac, the God of Jacob, is my God. And is my children's God. And is my grandchildren's God. And will be my great-grandchildren's God. And my great-great-grandchildren's God. And for as long as there are people being born, He will be their God. That is mind-boggling. It is also comforting. 
But ultimately, it's a matter of worship. For who, O God, is like you? Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you that there is no one like you. I thank you, O God, for the vast difference that exists between you and ourselves. I pray that you would give us a spirit of humility. O Lord, who are we to question you? Who are we to fail to trust you? Who are we to try to make it on our own? Lord, help us to see. What a privilege, even as our brother Leroy was praying tonight. What a privilege you've given to us to be your children and for you to be our Father. Oh God, may our hearts respond in worship as we contemplate how different you are from us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.